Informed Dissent, the intersection of healthcare and politics, with Dr. Jeff Barkey, board-certified primary care physician, and Dr. Mark McDonald, board-certified child, adolescent, and adult psychiatrist. Well, Mark, great to be with you on another episode of Informed Dissent, available on all podcast outlets, including Apple Podcasts. We got an awesome guest, a dear friend of mine, uh, who I consider a mentor, and that is the legendary Pastor Rob McCoy from Godspeak Cavalry Chapel Church in uh, in Thousand Oaks, California. Rob, thanks for coming on, Pastor. It's an, it's an honor to have you on Informed Descent. Jeff, Mark, you guys, you, you say I'm legendary. I'm rubber, you're glue. That bounces off me, sticks to you. You guys are epic. <laughs> Welcome. I'm so honored to be with you. Well, it's great to be with you. Listen, uh, we met a year or so ago uh, when the storm was hitting your church and you were being threatened to, to be closed down. And Mary and I decided, Mary, my wife and I decided that uh, we were gonna take the trek from Orange County out to Calvary Chapel and uh, start a new organization called Jews for Evangelicals. <laughs> now there's only two of us, but we're strong and powerful. And we, and we stood out in front of your church while the local police were threatening to arrest people and give out tickets. I was looking forward to that ticket or being arrested. You know, there's some pastors that have been arrested. I haven't yet. So I was hoping that that would happen, but it never happened. And there were there must have been thousands of people standing in front of your church. And it was an honor to support you during a real difficult time. Well, Jeff, uh, you and your wife were a representation of what makes America uh, uh, wonderful. Uh, so when the county threatened us, uh, named me and a thousand congregants or visitors uh, to give us a citation. It was a serious citation. If you had an NROTC scholarship, you'd lose it. If you were a government, government employee, you'd, you'd be in a lot of trouble. If you had a concealed weapon permit, you'd lose it. They were serious citations and they were threatening us. And when I showed up that day, uh, committed to violating the restraining order, um, I, I, I didn't know what kind of a circus it would be out there, but I got so choked up, at, and I still do, that... Um, when I saw the crowd surrounding the church and all the people just like you and your wife saying, give us the citation so that they can worship in peace, um, my heart was knitted to yours immediately. And then seeing you on video saying, I'm Jewish and I'm supporting this pastor. Um, my boss is Jewish and uh, you're in good company. <laughs> well, well, that's awesome. You're you're a brave man. And there's um, a lot of evangelical pre preachers and pastors uh, that have stepped up during this pandemic to say being open is more important. And uh, we have a certain religious right and freedom uh, to be open. And a, a government agency telling a church that they cannot open just simply cannot stand. And you and others like you were very brave and continue to be brave to say, we're not going to we're not going to put up with this. We're not going to we're not going to comply with these tyrannical unconstitutional orders. Mark, as, as you as you point out, this national psychosis across the country that's paralyzed the, the citizenry. And it's one of fear because they keep telling us we have to do it to be safe. And, and the definition of safe is free from harm or danger. That world doesn't exist. Uh, we're, we're contending. We are in a battle of ideology that the governor would violate the First Amendment, the first 16 words that say, Congress shall make no law uh, respecting the establishment of religion or pro pro prohibiting the free exercise thereof. He would allow abortion clinics to be essential. He would allow cannabis distributors to be essential, liquor stores to be essential, anything to inebriate or whatever. But 
but he would violate the First Amendment. None of those are listed in the First Amendment. And and I, I just finally got to a place when the attorney told us, you know, it was a legal pad full of consequences when we violated the restraining order. I took it to my wife and she basically said something like, you know, you're, we're going to lose our house. We're going to lose a church. We're going to get audited. We'll get death threats. I mean, it was just a legal pad of stuff. Um, and, and they and my wife and I looked at it and I said, honey, I, I'm planning on I'm going to violate this restraining order. Um but I don't want to do it without you. And, and her comment was something along the line, similar to um, um, another guy, uh, his wife. She just basically said, I'd rather be a widow than be married to a coward. And, uh, and my kids loved it because they, they know we're contending for their future. And, and the staff was in. It was the elders that were a little bit tougher. There's 15 elders in our church. And they showed up that Saturday before the Sunday when we had violated. And I said, fellas, I'm planning on violating a restraining order, but I won't do it without unanimity. And I filled out my letter of resignation. So you have two choices. You're either going to be unanimous in this or I resign today. And I love all of you, but you have the same fiduciary responsibility. You're going to lose everything. Uh, so we're either going to do it together or I'm leaving. And they were all in. And I, I knew they would be because they're just, they're, they're courageous men. And then I called the landlord, a guy from Texas who owns the property. And I said, look, I have a fiduciary responsibility to you. Uh, he's a West Texas guy. And uh, he went from a, a, a bricklayer to a billionaire in 10 years. And, and, uh, and I, I said, Dan, you know, they're, they're going to take your property. They, I don't know what they're going to do. And he goes, Rob, we gave that to Lord a long time ago. Go kick their, yeah. so, <laughs> uh, we, we had counted the cost and, and this is, I'll, I'll just end with this. Uh, the, the, the fear has been established by, um, a, a false promise of safety and there's no such thing as free from harm or danger. Uh, I, I no longer want to be safe. I, I want to be dangerous and wise. And and I'm going to contend in the public square for the freedom of man. And and truth is is ridiculed, then it's violently opposed, and then it becomes self-evident. I, I don't know where we are in that right now, but I don't care. Because nothing is more valuable to me, especially on that legal pad, than liberty for my children. My father, my grandfather, and generations, 245 years of unprecedented freedom, I'm not going to be the generation that loses it with the tyranny in California. Governor Newsom, put me in jail. I don't care. And and y you're going to have that optic. And I even told the judge, judge, you'll never see a dime of that money. I'll see the inside of a prison cell before you ever see a dime of that money. And that's why he never put a due date on the fine. And then ultimately they dropped it. So, Rob, it's been two years now. What What's changed and what's happened now? And I, I know you've been traveling a lot. You traveled to the uh, the, the Freedom Convoy. Uh, you, you've been around speaking, the Freedom Revival in San Diego and so forth. What have you seen happen since you took a stand? So I, I always made it. I mean, I, I was a sitting city councilman uh, on April 3rd, 2019. I had just finished in December my one-year term as mayor of the city. Uh, and that had begun uh, December 1st. Uh, on November 8th of 2018, we had that horrific borderline shooting where 13 of our young people died in a country western dance hall. Two of them were from my congregation. Officer Ron Helis, who was shot and killed, was a friend of mine. Um, I love this city. I, I was with every single family member when they were notified by the sheriff's department that their child was one of the victims. I stayed with them all night. Uh, I, I've been a sheriff's chaplain. Uh, I, I love this city. I would never put this city in harm harm's way. I knew the severity of the virus. We'd had doctors like yourself, Jeff, come and share with us. And there was, uh, I'd never seen this in my lifetime, the censorship, 
the, the truth is never afraid of a lie, but a, a lie can't survive in the presence of truth. So unprecedented censorship of anyone, and you, you would lose your your job, you'd, you'd lose your position, you'd be ostracized in your profession. All of you have faced that. That's why you're, you're my heroes. And yet we, we were contending for truth. And, and, and when I, I, so April 3rd, I'm, I'm going to win re-election by overwhelming odds in November of 2019. But I resigned from the seat because I swore to defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. I, I, I think the council and even the supervisors would be hard-pressed to name how many articles are in the Constitution or how many amendments there are and, and what the governor had violated. And I knew they'd censure me and it would, it would just be a zoo. And so I just stood upon religious freedom. And I always say that our church, the, the largest church in the Conejo Valley is the church of the people that used to go to our church. Because I've always been this way for 20, now it'll be 22 years, April 1st. I've always been this way. And people come in, they go, man, I like the church. It's kind of cool, but he's too political. Well, <laughs> I make a stand and, and the church goes from like 300 on a good Sunday to now, what, 2,000? It exploded. We've baptized more people in a year than the attendance of the church was a year ago. Wow. And, and these are folks that never darken the doors of the church, but their streams of liberty dried up, so they went upstream. And I said, you're, you're at the source. God's the source of liberty. Even our, our birth certificate, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, endowed by the Creator with inalienable rights, among those being life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. And, and, the, and the purpose of government is to protect those inalienable rights. That's it. And they do it by the consent of the governed. I'm not giving my consent. And I will stand in opposition, and then this is the last part, in, in our faith, there's a passage of scripture, probably one of the most quoted passages in Nazi Germany, Romans 13, and Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the only evangelical pastor with the exception of maybe Martin Niemöller, who got out of Nazi Germany with a good reputation because they stood in defiance of Hitler. And one of the last directives of Hitler was to make sure that Bonhoeffer was hung just before he shot Eva Braun and shot himself in the bunker. And the, and the passage of scripture is Romans 13, where it says, God appoints all positions of authority and that we're to submit to that authority. But what pastors leave out in, in, in looking at that passage is unlimited submission, which is absolute stupidity, is that those leaders are there for our good. And as Jonathan Mayhew, who was a preacher, died in 1766, but John Adams said he was instrumental in the War of Independence. He coined this phrase when he observed that text as a scholar. He said, if the, the authorities cease to do good, they cease to be the authority. And he said, disobedience to tyrants is obedience to God. Well, now I tell pastors, the first three words of the preamble of the Constitution now constitute who the, the authority is in Romans 13. We the people. And, and they govern by our consent, and they're constrained by those articles. And if they violate them, it is our right and our duty. So you're in disobedience of Romans 13. I'm not. And all these people's lives are being punished the 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 abused are quarantined with their abusers the elderly die alone children's schools are shuttered for a virus that affects them 0.002% it's just unconscionable what they're doing and it's all under the the auspices of safe and that's where i keep going back to i'm tired of safe rob let's talk a little bit about the church and politics it seems that most pastors just want to be neutral they don't want to talk politics they only want to talk about the bible and they don't get involved advocating one way or another in this liberty movement. Why, why is that, and why do you think they have that wrong? Pastors are, are peacemakers, and, and Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall see God. But they, they, they don't understand that peace is not the absence of conflict. 
Peace is the presence of our Savior in the midst of the conflict. He's the Prince of Peace. Uh, Isaiah 53, he, 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 that's who he is. And so uh, they, Jesus said, I didn't come to bring a peace, but a sword. We're, we're contending for ideology. They're opposed to conflict. And so they, like a twig on the banks of the mighty river, they just want to go with the flow. But that is, that is unconscionable cowardice that is, that is disguised as peaceful. But, but you're, the Bible says, love your neighbors yourself. They're losing their jobs and they're being called non-essential. And 65% of the restaurants in our, in our county will never reopen. They've been devastated while Costco gets to remain open. If you love your neighbor, contend for their freedom. And then I tell them this, freedom is not man's idea, it's God's idea. 2 Corinthians 3.17, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. They're just confused in the sense that they think that peace is the absence of conflict. And now they're, many of them are awakening and realizing they thought there was a separation of church and state because of 1947 Everson versus the Board of Education, where Hugo Black, the worst Supreme Court justice, with the exception of slavery, he, he was a KKK member, professed his membership in the KKK in front of 25,000 KKK people. He had never been a judge before. He had supported FDR's New Deal, so he appoints him as a, a justice. He writes the majority opinion on Everson versus the Board of Education and, and uses an obscure document by Jefferson uh, to the Danbury Baptist Convention saying an invisible wall of separation and reverses the meaning of the First Amendment, now they call it the Establishment Clause. So it's no longer freedom of religion, it's freedom from religion. And they have this evolutionary uh, legal approach to the Constitution that it's an evolving document. And, and they've taken 150 years of precedent and thrown it out. And now here we are watching tyranny come. And as John Adams said, only a moral people can govern a republic. From the moral law, you have, you have civil law. The church is instrumental in that. Um, if you want to keep going, I have one more thing, unless I'm boring you to death. Go. All right. In our faith, Matthew uh, 16, 18, one of my favorite passages, and I've been to Israel 14 times. On the Sea of Galilee, where Jesus spent three years of his ministry teaching there in the synagogue, he took these Jewish Orthodox boys up to the headwaters of the Jordan, which is the most resplendent, Caesarea Philippi. It's, it's a park-like setting. It's, it's cool and lovely. And every, every culture that's dominated the region has set up a temple to their god or goddess. So it's, the cliff is inundated with, with carvings of deities. And at the time, Rome occupied it. So you've got pagan Roman worship. I mean, Bacchus and Aphrodite is probably, they're nude and in the water. And these Orthodox Jewish boys who had never left Galilee are gaping, looking at all this you know, cacophony of pagan noise. And in the midst of it, Jesus says, who do men say that I am? And they say, some say you're John the Baptist, others say Jeremiah. He says, yes, but who do you say that I am? And it's Peter who says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God, Messiah. Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood is not revealed to you, but my father in heaven. Here we go. Upon this rock, playing upon his name, Petros means rock. Upon this rock, I will build mine. Everyone says church. That, that word didn't come till hundreds of years later. Jesus didn't use a religious term, synagogue or temple. He used a secular term that Aristotle had in use for hundreds of years prior. Tyndale, in the first English-speaking Bible, translated correctly to assembly, and for that, the king had him hung and his remains burned. The word is, is from the Greek city-state. It means public square city council. It, we're, in, we're to be engaged in that. Upon this rock, I will build my public square, and the gates of hell, which enslave, will not prevail. So, the law, according to Harvard Law School, every single commencement, and it's on a plaque on the stairwell in the Harvard Law School, and they invoke it every year at graduation. 
They say that the law is the wise restraints that make men free. You apply restraints towards evil in order to pursue excellence. Any athlete understands this concept. While, while I was watching the Super Bowl with a big bowl of potato chips and a big Coke, you know, these football players are enjoying football to a level of excellence I'll never enjoy because I didn't apply restraints and watch game films and practice and practice and practice. I made nationals. I, I, I qualified for the Olympic trials. I still hold records. I know what it's like to apply restraints in order to pursue excellence in a sport. We want that for our children. But if the law isn't used to apply restraints to, for our children to uh, obtain excellence, the law then becomes weaponized not to let people be free to accomplish great things, but to enslave them. And our founders understood that First Amendment when they created the three branches of government. The most powerful branch at the time was a legislative branch, which controlled the purse strings. So they said immediately in the First Amendment, and read the preamble of the, of the Bill of Rights, it's, it's to constrain government. They said, and, and the declaration is poetic, when in the course of human events it becomes necessary in the preamble of the Constitution, we the people in order to form a perfect union. The First Amendment's nothing like that. It's prohibitive and angry. You will not dare touch anything pertaining to a man's conscience and his God, ever. That's what made America so fascinating and great. So we're recording this on a Sunday. This sounds like a bit of a sermon that's coming out of your mouth right now. No, I, I, I did another. <laughs> well, I did do one on. Uh, I, I was really moved by the idea of safety. I did cover that, but this one has just been burning in me all. Yeah. <laughs> so what I hear you saying is that the reality is houses of worship, worship churches, synagogues, etc., really should be public squares. There should not be a separation of church and state. We should be discussing the public business within houses of worship. Yeah, I don't, I don't check my faith when I go to the polling booth. It inspires my vote. It directs my vote. And I shouldn't be ostracized as a pastor in politics when I ran for office. It's somehow, as a citizen, I'm not permitted because I'm clergy. The, the first speaker of the house, Muhlenberg, was a minister. His brother, I think it was Augustus, and then you had Frederick Muhlenberg, and I'm not sure which, but one was a Tory, sided with a British, said, you're disobeying Romans 13. He said, no, this guy's a tyrant. Have you not read Jonathan Mayhew's sermon? It wasn't until his brother's church was burned that he came to realization, and he's the one who ended up becoming the first speaker of the House of Representatives. Um you know, they used to host church services in the Supreme Court building, and the Marine Corps band would would lead worship, and you had Congress produce and print a Bible to convert Indians. I mean, the Everson versus the Board of Education was so devastating because now we're taking crosses off veterans' memorials because they're on federal land. It's not freedom of religion, it's freedom from erasing the Ten Commandments off the edifices of our building, but without moral law. And, 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 and disregarding our Declaration of Independence, four times God is listed, our rights don't come from man. If they do, then man writes the rules. All humanity is accountable to God, and they didn't, they didn't subscribe to a specific faith. They just said one God. And, and they called it the laws of nature, nature's God, uh, uh, appealing to the supreme. You know, it, they, they laid it out so that we would have freedom to pursue God in whatever capacity. And it, it, it's just... It is the most remarkable form of government in the history of the world. First, it's a second constitutional republic. There was one other, if you ever want to know about it. Patrick Henry's famous uh, Give Me Liberty speech was given on the steps of a church in 1775. Well, and, and, and the, the War of Independence, 
there wasn't a continental army that gathered and there was an executive directive. It was churches like the Black Robe Regiment when they go through Lexington and Concord and they would apply Christian principles and they say, do not fire unless fired upon. And, and many of the soldiers that mustered from the church that Sunday were killed by the British. Well, then word got to the next town, they fired on us. So then they waited at the next church with the, the people who had congregated in the church and they were ready for the British and they eviscerated them all the way back, I think it was to Boston. And each hamlet started to participate, it was all local. And it was inspired by this idea that if you're going to try to infringe and take away these, these rights given by God, we will contend with you because man has the right to be free. So are you seeing a waking up of pastors across the country? Yeah. Yeah, we are. Um, we, I'm, I'm part of, uh, I'm co-chair of Turning Point Faith uh, with Charlie Kirk. And we don't want to bring the church into Turning Point or Turning Point into the church. Turning Point is a secular 501c3. We've got agnostics, atheists, Catholics, Protestants, Mormons, Jews. And we got, it's like, you know, the island of misfits to, misfit toys. Great kids, all conservative. They're all rowing in the streams of liberty. We don't subscribe to the same faith and some don't have it. But they believe in conservative principles. They don't know the source, but that's okay. We're all rowing in that direction. So we're not bringing Turning Point into the church, and we're not bringing the church into Turning Point. But what we are doing is like In-N-Out Burger. Uh, our, our reps go into these churches, and, and they, you know, In-N-Out Burger is not like McDonald's. McDonald's does chicken sandwiches, salads, parfaits, uh, pancakes. In-N-Out Burger does burgers. That's all you get at In-N-Out. One thing, burgers. You can get some fries, but burgers. Good milkshakes, too, by the way. That's true. And and Lindsay Schneider and her husband, Sean, standing firm in opposition to the tyranny, God bless the owners of In-N-Out. So my point is this, when when Turning Point goes into a church, we we present one thing, liberty. We're not here to discuss theology. If, if we don't get liberty right, you'll be discussing your theological differences in prison. And so the pastors that have gathered are an eclectic gathering. We've got five-point Calvinists, charismatics, uh, swinging from the chandelier. I mean, the, the whole, it's it's crazy. But we're all rowing in that direction because we want liberty in a nation that is unprecedented in religious freedom, America. What's the end result that uh, you hope to achieve? Uh, an awakening. Uh, you know, the first and second great awakening in America occurred in the pulpits. And, and everything that was in the Declaration of Independence was first preached in the pulpits of America. And I can walk you through that. We probably don't have time. But, but even the principles of the Enlightenment thinkers that came through, John Locke and all, all of them, the number one sought-out source for the establishment of this government uh, was the Bible. It was, it was number one quoted in all of their writings when you go through each of their lives. They really sought inspiration. And, and one of the reasons, the Constitutional Republic, uh, that this is good, three to five million Jews were enslaved in Egypt, crying out to God for freedom. They were possibly building the pyramids, but they were enslaved by Pharaoh. God sends an 80-year-old man by, Mo, by the name of Moses. He comes to me and says, God says, let my people go. Pharaoh, like Mussolini, says, who is God that I should obey him? Doubles the brick output, reduces the materials. The, the, the three to five million who wanted freedom don't want to kill Pharaoh. They want to kill Moses because people want freedom. They just don't want to have to pay for it or suffer. But Moses does what he does. The 10 plagues, they're delivered. Egyptian armies vanquish in the Red Sea. Manna every morning. Water appears where there isn't. Quail blown off course. Their shoes don't wear out. Clothes don't wear out. They leave with all the wealthy Egyptians. Miracle after miracle. Greatest one of all. Moses goes up on Mount Sinai. He gets a downloaded moral app, the Ten Commandments, a Decalogue. Comes down. Aaron's having a rave party with a golden calf. And, and they're in debauchery. And he places, he teaches the children the moral law and places the law in the center of the community. And here's the greatest miracle. Three to five million people live together for 40 years without a police force or a standing army. 
If you're right with God and right with each other and you have that governance that you're gonna be accountable to a supreme being one day, you're gonna do some things right. So that was the constitution, but here was the, here was the Republic representative. Jethro, uh, Moses' father-in-law said, dude, you can't do this on your own. You need to appoint godly men who are not covetous, who love the law over thousands, hundreds, fifties, tens, federal, state, county, local. Isaiah 33, 22, the Lord is our king, our lawgiver, and our judge, executive, legislative, judicial branch. These guys, you know, scoured the scriptures to find a, a government that would work. And they looked through all of history and they finally put up a, a, a three branch of government to separate powers because they knew man wanted to concentrate power. They did a bicameral legislature so that each person had representation, upper house, lower house. Never before in the history of the world. Fascinating. So we're revisiting it. Churches are awakening. We're doing biblical citizenship classes. We're now up to uh, almost 50 churches that have signed on to the eight-week course. So you just retold the Passover story in very short order and interesting. In a couple of weeks, we've got uh, Easter Sunday and uh, first time in a long time, Easter Sunday and Passover overlap each other. Yeah, not a coincidence. The Passover is the longest running family meal in world, longest running family meal in world history. And the sole purpose is, remember, you were once slaves and now you're free. To retell the story. Yeah. You know, Dennis Prager talks about that we should have an American Passover, if you will, and retell the story of America every 4th of July. Our founders wanted July 4th to be a sacred holiday, similar to Easter and Christmas. Um, uh, Dr. Benjamin Rush when he gave the outlines of the level of importance, he said, God, country, then family. You're like, whoa, whoa, dude, family comes before government. He said, no, if the government's not right, your family won't survive. You know, Rob, we were together, uh, I don't know, a couple, three weeks ago uh, in South Orange County, and uh, we, were, we were hanging out and I was listening. Uh, you're a funny guy, you tell great stories, you're a great storyteller. And you shared something with some folks that were sitting there. And I, and I want you to share this with your audience because it was meaningful to me. Um, you know, I'm not really a public figure, but I've been more so over the last couple of years. Same thing with Mark. You're, of course, a public figure. You travel around. You're well known. And, and you said something, and I'm going I'm to uh, uh, summarize it, but you can expand on it, that there are, there are three things really that will get a public figure, a pastor, uh, a movie star, anybody who's in the public in trouble. And there were three G's associated with that. Could you tell our audience about that? Because I think it's important and it really hit home when I heard you talk about it. Gold, glory, and girls. So politics is intoxicating because it involves power, but Aristotle said politics is the highest form of community because it combines morality with sociability. But if you're driven by greed, if you're, if you're, if you're driven by power, uh, that's not the highest of virtues. The highest virtue is happiness. You, you, you operate in the context for which you were created. A, a cup is good because it holds water. It's not a good, it's, it's a bad cup if it doesn't hold water. Accomplishing that for which you were created to do. So, you know, having a reputation or, or, or honor, uh, Aristotle said, that's, honor of itself can be deadly. And, and that's the idea of power. And, and it, it, it corrupts. And you, you always want to centralize because man is innately selfish. And then uh, the, the gold, you, you start loving the things of this world more than working for a future generation. There's no sacrifice. This is the first time in American history that the elderly were more concerned with, with their life expectancy than they were for children. 
for a virus that affected primarily 55 and older with comorbidities, they shuttered their schools and kept them away from grandma and grandpa and hindered their education. And the suicide rate was higher than the COVID deaths. And, and th- this, is, this is selfish. We, we served the next generation. My father secured it for me. My grandfather secured it for him. A nation grows great whose citizens plant trees of the shade that, that they will never know. And, and the, the men who died on Normandy, and you hear that invoke, but it's true. They never got to marry, never got to have kids. But their sacrifice allowed these, these nations not to be fascist and speaking, you know, Adolf Hitler's German uh, and, and the glorious Third Reich. Uh, so gold, glory, and then girls. Um, that's the idea that, you know, the, the building block of family is, is monogamy. It's honesty. It's, it's integrity before your spouse. And everyone is tempted in those. And politicians, when they go there, they want the, the nefarious forces seek to compromise them in one of those three areas. And, and the difference is, in, in many of the people I work with, I can't be bought because I'm already owned. There's whatever the rich have, I, I've whatever they've flown, I've, I've flown whatever they fly, I've flown in. Wherever they've stayed, I've stayed. Whatever they eat, I've eaten. Whatever they drive, I've driven. If that's all they got, I don't want it. Nothing's more valuable than liberty for my kids. So I, I and and. I, when I say can't be bought, I'm already owned. I have committed my life to serving God. I, I'm not in it for the money. I don't. Pa- you know this too. I don't pass an offering bag. I don't ask for money. I never have. I don't care. And then the glory. You you say I'm known around. I I really could care less. I I, I got on video because they made me so I could reach out to our sunshiners who were, you know, held up. And I remember our first videos looked like an ISIS beheading video. It was me and my son-in-law with a black backdrop, grainy film. And then all of a sudden we have 40,000 subscriptions because we brought folks like you on. They weren't getting this in, in the censorship across the country. And, and we wanted to educate our congregation and prepare them. And then girls, why would I want anyone other than Michelle? You've seen her. She is finer than a new set of snow tires. She is a hottie. So how does the average person get involved in this liberty movement? How can they step out and make a difference? Where do they go? What do they do? They're, they're hearing your voice, our voice, hopefully being inspired. How do they get involved? I don't know if you read Naomi Wolf's article. Uh, I, don't, I don't think she's a, a woman of faith. She's uh, a feminist, um, kind of liberal, pro-choice. I, I mean, I don't hold to her political, but I do, I, I do hold to her liberty. Um, and she wrote an article, said, I'm not, I'm not, um, I'm not a hero. You're just a wussy. She used a different word and she bleated it out. But she said, uh, the monumental cowardice for people in positions of authority that can do something that are silent, who send me a text message saying, Naomi, you're my hero, but I can't do what you do because, and then she says, fill in the, you know, whatever blank of your, your stupid argument. She said, it, it, when you have the ability to do something in your, in your circle of influence, do it. Because there's no middle ground anymore. You're either going to engage or you're going to be a bystander. And, and the reality is there's, there, there's nothing left. This republic is in great jeopardy never before in, in our lifetime. And, and for you to be silent when you can make a difference is cowardice. He who knows the good to do it and does not do it, to him it is sin, the scripture says. Everyone needs to pick up their corner of the stretcher, and it's got to cost you something. You're, you're unwilling 
to engage, and everyone has experienced moments of cowardice. I have to, I put the mask on on the airplanes, it drives me crazy, I take it off as soon as I can. I'm, I'm compliant in areas I wish I wasn't, and I've seen people braver than me, and to each man's given a measure of faith. But there are some areas where I know that I this is this line is drawn and I'm not moving. Each of you know what that is and you know what difference you can make. And 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 I knew what mine was. I was scared too. Look, we're all scared. But once you count the cost, anything on that legal pad that I wrote down that day from the attorney was not as valuable for the liberty of my children and my grandchildren. So at that point, all the fear went away. Because what are they going to threaten me with? When we die as Christians, it's heaven. Like, what do you threaten me with heaven? And and okay, so if I don't die, I'm going to suffer some pain. Pain pain is a realization that we live in a, a world of, of of hurt. So I'll suffer the pain for the sake of wisdom and, and the future of my children, but I am not going to compromise their future for some bobble and trinket that that will keep me safe and and take away their freedom. The last part. Benjamin Franklin said, he who gives up his liberty for the sake of security will receive neither. And, and they're, they're going to take it all. I think churches and synagogues have actually gotten themselves into trouble because they are not political enough. And I'm speaking primarily to one side because the other side has been political for a very long time and they've captured the argument. You win the argument by participating in it, first of all. And if you don't participate in it, you've lost it. And I think that conflict avoidance part that you mentioned earlier is the reason why so many liberty-loving and freedom-loving pastors and priests and rabbis have not engaged. And it's really a moral failing, I believe, on their part, because by avoiding conflict, you actually promote immorality and evil. When you're cruel to the kind, you're kind to the cruel. That's one of Dennis Prager's favorite lines from the Torah. And I think that it's very important and relevant today. As a psychiatrist... I see conflict avoidance as one of the primary failings that lead to mental illness and dissatisfaction in my patients. And that includes marital conflict avoidance. Marriage is not about peacekeeping. It's about eliciting conflict to resolve differences and then to achieve peace. And you can expand that to a social and societal level as well. So those two points that you made really resonated with me. The absence of political action on the part of the morally righteous faith leaders and the avoidance of conflict by them. I think those are grave, grave errors on their part. Now, I know that they're well-intentioned, but well-intentioned uh, leads to probably the greatest evils of our society. I mean, one of the biggest failings in the last couple of years are good, well-intentioned people suffocating their children, keeping them out of school, keeping them out of work, uh, well-intentioned politicians, bureaucrats, uh, corporate executives trying to do the right thing. A lot of good intentions lead to bad problems. So I, I would strongly support and encourage uh, anyone who's listening to what you're saying to take this really to heart, that we should be promoting conflict and we should be engaging in the religious sphere using the words of politics. And if we don't do that, I think it really is a failing and it's to our peril. I, just mic drop on that one, call tonight. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. I, I heard Bob McEwen, uh, Congressman McEwen, say this one time, and I loved it, the illustration. He says, morality is not doing what's wrong. I don't drink, smoke, or chew, or hang around with those who do. Morality is not doing what's wrong. Character is doing what's right. And he says, point in case. Your child comes home from school and says, Mommy, Daddy, all the children in the school called Susie fat, but I didn't. Say, well, that's the moral thing to do, child, but where's your character? And the child will say, what do you mean? 
Why did you tell the other children to stop it? Well, they would have laughed at me. So what? It's the right thing to do. Where's your character? And, and, and all that's necessary for evil to prosper is for good men, moral men and women to do nothing. They're not, they're not exercising character. And, and your children are looking at you for leadership and they realize whatever faith you subscribe to that has no bearing on my future, I have more hope in Greta Thunberg if she can stop cows from flatulating than I have going to your church because the, the God you're uh, you know professing doesn't have the ability to contend with tyranny and there's no hope for this nation and, and my future. And I'm going to walk around with a mask all day? Even the kids know. We were in Chicago, Charlie and I, and and... And the rally wasn't parents. It was kids who had walked out of the high school and they gathered 3,000 of them in an arena, the only one that was owned by an adult that would let them come in because they were all being ostracized in Chicago. And these kids were fearless. And the tragedy was, where were the parents? Now, there were some parents there. Please understand, I'm not dismissing all of them. But this is a, this is a revolution being led by kids who are watching their freedoms being taken. And, and I, th I think America needs to realize how valuable freedom is. And, and many are awakening. And it only took 9% of the population to fight the Revolutionary War. Half of them didn't even want to be a part of it. And half were with the Tories. I mean, it doesn't take a lot. Rob, it's been an honor and a privilege. Thank you so much for coming on Informed Dissent. And Godspeed to you with uh, all the work that you're doing spreading liberty. May, may I just say for the two of you, You've both come and spoken to our congregation, and each of you in a crisis moment instilled and took away fear from our congregation because you gave them facts and truth. You clarified the topics, you laid out the science, you settled their hearts, and you allowed us to go forward in peace. You both are treasures, and if there's ever anything, if I have it and you need it, I'll give it. You guys are wonderful. God bless you both. Thank you for everything you do. Thank you, Robin. Thank Finally, you. how can our audience follow you, learn more about you, and support your ministry? Ah, you can go to godspeak.com uh, if you want to hear messages. They cure insomnia, so uh, just you know, <laughs> click on that. And yeah, look, we're here to support and serve you all. Uh, God meets our needs, but if you want to hook up for some of that stuff, godspeak.com. Wonderful. Thank you, Rob. Thank you. Bless you guys. You've been listening to Informed Dissent with Dr. Jeff Barkey board-certified primary care physician, and Dr. Mark McDonald, board-certified child, adolescent, and adult psychiatrist, informed dissent, the intersection of healthcare and politics.